Amen. From, from Ephesians 1 and verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. Are you blessed today? With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This is one of my favorite passages. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted into the beloved. You know, we live in a very, very, very greedy world. When you look at the Old Testament, like the main sin of the Old Testament was the sin of idolatry. But when you look at the New Testament, the New Testament identifies the sin of covetousness as idolatry. And, and it's really a whole nother Bible study to go in to dive into details regarding that. But, but it all boils down to this. If God is Lord of your life and Jesus is Lord of everything, then you should be contented with everything that you have. Because the writer of Hebrews says this, be contented with such things as you have, for he hath said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And what it's teaching us is that if you have Jesus, that you've got everything you need. You might feel alone, but you are never alone when you're walking with the Lord. But think of this question, how much is enough? Now by worldly standards, I mean, how much money is enough? Uh, how much fame is enough? You know, the famous words of Mr. Rockefeller from years ago when they asked him, how much more money do you want? And he was, of course, a billionaire, and, and you know what he said, a little bit more. And that's kind of the standard that people, that people live by. I often wonder, if, if I'm a millionaire by the time I'm 30, I'm retiring toes in the sand somewhere. So I'll move to another country, and, and I'll help a missionary out there somewhere in a little island. I hope it's God's will, at least. Um, and I'll support that missionary and I'll give to the work of the Lord and I'll teach Bible studies and do what and sing whatever he wants me to do. But I'm going to have a little hut on the side of the beach somewhere. I'm going to just be chilling out. But people in the world don't typically think like that because it's like a hunger that can never be satisfied. Uh, what is, what, when is man ever really satisfied? And Proverbs 27 and 20 says this, hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. And so there is your answer to that question. How much is enough? And the answer is it's never enough. Because there is a deep longing within man that only God can fill. There's a God-sized hole inside of you that people try to stuff with worldly junk. And it never fills up. But consider the words from Ephesians 1 and 3 where he said this. God has blessed us with all the spiritual blessings. The best blessings are spiritual ones. And when you think about that, and if I were to ask you, how much has God blessed you? And if you were to be completely honest and have a moment of transparency, there's probably at some point in your life at least where you thought to yourself that God has blessed others more than me. And that may or may not be true financially. But when you look at it from, from the most important things in life, how has God blessed you? And it is the spiritual blessings that matter the most. Paul goes on to say that we are blessed because we are chosen in Christ. 
Now, the word chosen denotes to choose out with the accessory idea of kindness or favor. Simply put, it's, simply, it's as simple as this. He chose you because he loved you. And he didn't love you when you did something really good. Or he didn't love you when you were born. And he didn't love you when or because you have blue eyes and, and, and nice, nice full head of hair, unlike me right now. Or because you look nice or you're athletic or you're good at this or you're good at that or you're smart or you're sharp or you have it all together or the lack thereof. He didn't love you for any of those reasons. You know what? He loved you before he even started building the world. That's when Christ loved you and chose you. From the foundation of the world. He didn't choose, he chose us when we simply did not deserve it. Look at Genesis 43 and verse, sorry, 48. Genesis 48 and verse 13 and 14. Then we're going to read verse 17. It says, And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. This is when, when, uh, when, uh, when uh, Jacob or Israel is on his deathbed, he's getting ready to die. Verse 14, and Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, because Ephraim's the youngest, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. Verse 18, it says, And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it, but he shall become a people, and he shall be also great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. So here Israel, sorry, uh, Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. We don't see specifically Joseph mentioned as being a tribe of Israel because uh, Jacob said that he would adopt Ephraim and Manasseh's sons as his own. And so they became two of the tribes in Israel. But as, so, so Joseph had these two sons. Ephraim was, of course, the youngest. Manasseh was the oldest. So Joseph placed Manasseh on Israel's right side and Ephraim on his left side so that his right hand would come on Manasseh's head and thus, Manasseh would get the greater blessing. Now, what, what's the big deal about the right hand? Because the right hand was used to bestow the blessing upon the elder son. And the rights and privileges of the eldest son was bestowed by the right hand. You can talk, you can read throughout the scriptures um, how the right hand is kind of an anthropomorphismic phrase. and It's an anthropomorphism, which just means that it's, it's symbolic. And it was symbolic of power and authority. When it says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, it means that the name of Jesus has authority over everything. That there's no other name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. That name, everything is subject to that name. Amen. But Israel crossed his hands and gave the blessing to the youngest son, Ephraim, and not Manasseh. And this is often what God does and what he has done from the very beginning of time. He crossed his hands and preferred the youngest before the eldest. As Abel before Cain, Shem before Japheth, Isaac before Ishmael, Jacob before Esau, Judah and Joseph before Reuben, Moses before Aaron, and David before his brethren. God will often give his greatest blessings to the least likeliest candidate. 
from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul even reinforced this idea. In verse 26, he said, For you see your calling, brethren. Now, this is not calling in the sense of, like, Pastor Gary is called to be a pastor. It's, it means your call to salvation. So you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh and not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God had chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound those things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God crossed his hands with you. It's not like the NFL draft that's getting ready to come up in a few weeks where you hope that the most athletic candidate is chosen by your favorite team, although that's probably not always the case. Or like the Major League Baseball draft where they line them all up and they have all these names and they choose you know, the best and the most athletic third baseman or first baseman and there's what they call can't-miss drafts. And I know I use a sports analogy. Some of you guys' eyes are like crossing over like you have no idea what I'm talking about. So just bear with me. Paul used sports analogies too, by the way. So I'm in the word here. So he did. Talked about running a race and, and fighting and boxing and stuff. So anyways, so, so you hope that, that, that if you're a Chiefs fan, that they choose a good candidate. On the, in, in the draft, because that's the cheapest way to get really good talent instead of having to, to sign somebody or, or trade one of your best players. But when, when you talk about being chosen, my mind goes back to, you know, lining up. Remember when we played kickball when we were kids? And there was always that kid that never got picked. We always got picked last. Always usually in the middle of the crowd. I, was, I never was the first, but I usually wasn't the last either. Um, but I, I, was never the, I was never even the first tier of those that got picked for kickball. And I don't know why, I was, I was okay, I wasn't horrible, but I wasn't like, you know, the best player on the field by no means. Um, but, but, it was, but, it's, but it's based on merit. And it's based on how, how athletic you are. And in many cases, it's based on how well-liked you are. Because I know a lot of those kids that were getting picked before me are just somebody's friends. And they can't play at all. So it's kind of like who you know, not what you know, or what you can do. Well, God's economy is not like that. It's not based on merit. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Aren't you glad for that gift? The gift of God, the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the Spirit of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace is unmerited favor. Salvation can come to anybody of any degree, of any kinship, any race, creed, color, or background. But there is one requirement, and it is you have to be poor in spirit. From Matthew 19, verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus said that a rich man, it would be nearly impossible for a rich man, especially in the days of the Lord, to enter into the kingdom of God in those times, especially when following Jesus were to produce so much persecution. The rich young ruler that Jesus was speaking these words about simply had 
to learn to lose and sell everything he had. It wasn't his possessions really that were keeping him from the Lord. It was the fact that he came with the wrong attitude when he said, what must I do to be saved? Now, this is not the Acts chapter 2. We did it. What must we do to be saved? We crucified the Lord of glory. What do we have to do now? They were convinced of their sin. But this rich young ruler wasn't convinced of his sin. He was convinced of his righteousness. Jesus said, you know the law. you got to keep the, the Ten Commandments. And, and, he, and, and he went through five or six of them. Rich young ruler said, all these have I kept up from my youth. I'm a good man. Now, what do i got to do to, 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 to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, sell everything you have. He got right to the heart of the matter because you have to be poor in spirit. And if you've got too much to lose to follow Jesus, then you don't really realize how poor you truly are. Matthew 22 and 14, Jesus again said, For many are called, but few are chosen. So the call to salvation goes out to everybody. You can read from Revelation 22 and 17 where it says, In the spirit of the bride, say come. The bride is still saying come. And so is the Spirit. And let him that hears say come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So this is not God arbitrarily picking and choosing certain people over others. But this is the church age. And there there is a general call that is going out to everybody to be saved. Like in Noah's day, when Noah stood on top of of whatever he stood on top of, of that little platform he, he, he may have built or whatever it was, and, and he said, rain's coming and you got to get in the ark. And yet we still know that only eight were saved. So anybody could get in the ark, but only those who are chosen to get in actually got in because those are the ones that recognize their need for God. Second Peter 3 and 9, the, Lord, uh, the apostle Peter says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but as long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why hasn't God came so far? Why hasn't he just come down right now and just, you know, destroy all these sinners by fire and establish his, his kingdom on the earth? Here's your answer, because of his long-suffering and his mercy. God wants everybody to be saved, but you have to be poor in spirit to come. Now, with that in mind, From Galatians 3 and verse 13, look at what Paul said. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Do you have the Spirit? He said that we got to receive the promise or we can receive the promise of the Spirit. But here's the point. There was a curse pronounced in Deuteronomy over anyone who was hung on a tree. You may not know that. From You, you may know that. Deuteronomy 21 in verse 22 says this, and if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and it be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree. But thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God. That thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God gives thee for inheritance. So we said, when you commit a sin worthy of death, and somebody is hung because of that sin, you know what? Sin causes death, and we committed it. So it was us that that curse was pronounced on, because it should have been us on that tree hanging there. And so being cursed by God was the highest reproach a man could have, according to the Jews' mindset. 
When the Jews say a man, when the Jews saw a man hanging between heaven and earth, they considered him abandoned by both and unworthy of either. Thus, in his death, he was neither on earth nor in heaven. He was cursed by God, reproached by man, and rejected by both. That's why Jesus said these words on the cross from Matthew 27 and 46. He had to say these words on the cross. Because if he didn't, then the blessing of Abraham may not, would not have ever fallen upon us. But he said these words about the ninth hour. Jesus cried with a loud voice, Elama, Eli, sorry, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing a feeling of rejection and reproach right there on the cross. But whose rejection was he feeling? It was yours, my friend. It was ours. For every crime, every sin that we've ever committed, he felt right there on the cross. And that's why when we look and analyze that text in Galatians 3, again, he said, Christ hath redeemed us from that curse. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. It was our curse that he took on so that we could be blessed. The blessing of Abraham, what blessing? It was the blessing of of being justified by faith. That's what Abraham experienced when he believed in God. The Bible says in Genesis, I think it's chapter 17, that he believed in the Lord and it was in righteousness was imputed to Abraham because of his faith in that moment. And so Abraham was the one that first experienced that justification by faith. It was that right standing with God. It was the blessing of righteousness. And righteousness produces his favor in your life and eternal life. And he gives purpose and he uses us in his kingdom. And on the cross, some of Jesus' last words were these in Luke 23 and 34. When he was dying, these were some of his last words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he, Jesus said these words, God crossed his hands. And the curse that should have came on us went on him. And the blessing that should have went on him went on us. And it was the blessing of being justified by faith. You are blessed, my friend. Every day that you live, that you get up in the morning and you get up out of your bed, you ought to look yourself in the mirror and say, I am blessed because I have right standing with God. I can look in the mirror and and I can say, he's not angry. There's no frown up in heaven. I can lift my hands up to heaven and I can worship at his altar. I can come before his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. I am one of those redeemed that David said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I am blessed every day that I live. I am blessed. I don't care if I live in a cardboard box on skid row. I am blessed because I am justified by faith. And that means my home is not on this earth, my friend. My citizenship is in heaven, from which also we look for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet right now. Lift your hands and your voices just for a moment. And let's thank God that we are blessed in so many ways. Thank you, Jesus, for justifying us, for not leaving us in our sins, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we've got a home beyond this life, God. We bless your holy name today, Lord. Thank you.